Welcome to the Nerdthusiast Music Podcast. Today we will be discussing the album Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. With me is my co-host, John Brenner. John, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you today? I'm doing well also. Uh, real quick, before we hop into things, if you guys like what you hear, please consider supporting us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdthusiast. Consider following us also, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow us on all those things at nerdthusiast. Also, if you can't support us on Patreon, we totally understand, but it would help us out big time if you could give us a five-star review over on podcast services, or if you could simply like the video on YouTube and subscribe on YouTube. So let's get into it, John. Actually, no. We're going to wait a second. You did something important yesterday before we hop into the Beach Boys. You went to your first show in quite a long time, I believe. Why don't you tell me a bit about that? All right, man. Yeah, last night, went to my first punk rock show since March of 2020. That's awesome. It's been a long, long time. And honestly, it felt like I was 15 years old again. I uh, went to see the uh, went to see the Queers, great '90s pop punk band, very Beach Boys influenced, so kind of uh, fits. They, they played with uh, they played with a local band down here called Shakers, who were coincidentally the last band I saw before pandemic. That's crazy. so it was very fitting. It was very fitting. Pat, their singer, had he's been holding a shirt for me for like months. So. <laughs> He comes right up to me. He's like, got your shirt? Here's a koozie. I'm like, yay. Show was awesome. Met, met a lot of new people last night, too, which was great. Kids. Kids were at the show, which gave me this whole new found faith in humanity. Seeing 16-year-old kids moshing at a punk show. Felt very good to see that. Yeah, a lot of the shows that I go to now, I'm, I'm like, I'm 37, if you guys didn't know. So a lot of shows I go to now, I tend to be on, like, I wouldn't say I'm on the older side, but I would say I'm on, I would say I'm kind of on the younger side of the, the general population because the general population is like my age or older. And every time I see a kid, it's like, Oh, oh my God, there's a young person. Look at that young person. They're here watching this band with me. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> Oh, I'm the same way. But I, I remember when I was in my twenties, I would get annoyed at kids like, Oh, too many kids here and then i'm and then, <laughs> and then, then it's like you were that kid stop being that way be happy and now i, get, I just get super excited uh, i i i feel like there's a generation that is picking up where i left off and last yes. night was definitely that feeling just everybody everybody was just so happy to be there and if, if you've never listened to shakers or queers i highly recommend just really great music just fun punk rock Makes you feel happy. Yeah, you recently turned me on to the Queers. I listened to one of the records so far, and I, I liked it quite a bit, so I'm definitely going to be diving back into them for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically, their whole catalog is basically a love letter to the Ramones and the Beach Boys. Speaking of the Beach Boys, let's hop into it, John. So tell me about Pet Sounds. Where do you want to start? Well, to, to get an idea of Pet Sounds, you have to look at where Pet Sounds came from. The Beach Boys obviously hit in the early 60s and it was a lot of your you know all those songs surfing usa fun 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 they're the beach boys that most people were familiar with it, it was songs about cars surfing and you know hamburger stands that's what the beach boys were were uh known for and brian brian started branching out brian really 
around almost on a similar timeline as the Beatles when the Beatles started kind of doing experimenting. more more experimental, more mature subject matter. Brian, the Beach Boys put out a song called In My Room, which is uh, just a beautiful song about Brian just kind of hanging out in his room. Very similar to uh, In My Garage, when you think about it, the, the, the Weezer song. Um, yeah, that's a great Weezer song, too. Yeah, I, it is. I love it that is. song. And it reminds me of uh, Beach Boys in my room. I, I have to think there was an influence. And when you listen to it, you could tell it was really about Brian coming to terms and almost being at peace with his depression battles. That's what the song is about. And that's where Brian really started branching out. They would put out an album called Today. Every A lot of people think Pet Sounds was just kind of the first great Beach Boys record. And I... I uh, I have to debate, have to critique that because it's not true. The Beach Boys today, today exclamation point is the name of the uh, record, was a very mature record, and it really showed a lot of growth in Brian as a songwriter and as a composer and a producer. Most importantly, as a producer, he was really, really, really trying to channel his inner Phil Spector with that record which he would take a step further with Pet Sounds when he even got their backing band to be the band on the record. But just so you guys know, this is the, the third show we've done and Phil Spector's come up on every show. I feel like this is going to be like one of those things in a podcast. It's like a recurring thing. Like there's <laughs> going to be the Phil Spector moment in like just about it's, every podcast. It's hard to talk about music <laughs> without talking about Phil Spector. Just, he just has too much fingerprints on stuff. But the... That, that album has some singles that you would know. Uh, when I Grew Up To Be A Man was a big song on that record. Help Me Rhonda was on that record. But there were, there were the, the B side of that record is just really deep and personal. And you just kind of feel that it's this band that is trying to do bigger things, especially Brian. Brian wanted to do bigger, bigger things. And that's when he decided that he was no longer going to tour with the band. He stopped touring with the band. They actually got uh, Glenn Campbell, Rhinestone Cowboy, to be their new bass player and tour Europe. And while they were in Europe touring to promote the Today record, Brian is at home in his studio with the Wrecking Crew, which was Phil Spector's studio band, laying down the tracks for what would become Pet Sounds. So that's where mm. Pet Sounds begins. So this is this kind of like, would you would you consider this the beginning of the end of the Beach Boys being like together, like as one? Not really, because they would. Brian really only makes this record with the Wrecking Crew, and then he did some sessions after Pet Sounds, which we'll talk about later. But the band did record; they, they would record records together again, and they, as much as it's a. Um, very much a solo composition on Brian's end as far as laying down the tracks. The Beach Boys, all of them did all the vocals on it. It was a shared project as far as that goes. And outside of Brian being the creative genius, that's mostly what they're known for is their their voices. Brian was clearly, like you just said, that he was the creative genius behind all this. Did that, like, is, is that part of the thing that splintered? Because I don't know a lot about the history of the Beach Boys. So is that part of what really started to splinter them? Is like people didn't like him, like, having so much direction of the band is that what happened like other band members had a problem with that or was it something else no actually with them they kind of all rode the coattails <laughs> to be, to be oh. 
Yeah, it, it, it was almost like, cool, Brian, you make all the music. You're, you're, you're like, we don't, we don't want to have, I mean, and that's not entirely fair because there are other, they've all written songs in the Beach Boys and some of, uh, Carl wrote some, Carl Wilson wrote some great songs. Dennis wrote some great songs. Mike Love even wrote a couple, even though I consider Mike Love the, the heelish villain of the group. But he, he, he had some good songs. But why do you consider him the evil villain? He was definitely envious of Brian being the, the genius. And he also tried to hijack the genius as if somehow he was on equal footing. Prime example, we're fa- going fast forward here. Mike Love owns the name The Beach Boys. He's the one who tours as the Beach Boys. Yeah, I know there was a whole weird thing with like them touring because there was multiple Beach Boys touring at the same time and shit. It was like, how the hell is that even possible? Like, I well, didn't get tours, the whole thing. He tours as the Beach Boys. Brian tours as Brian and Al Jardine of the Beach Boys. Okay. And they're far more Beach Boys than Mike, who owns the name the Beach Boys. When you go see the when you go see the Beach Boys, you're going to see a really cheesy casino act. Play for play for like the casino crowd. They're not actually music fans. There are the people that want to hear fun, fun, fun and surfing USA. How how did the band let one person have control over its name? Because I was in a band before, you were in bands before. And to me, it would be like if we actually got a record deal, all of us would own the rights to the name of the band, not one person. Like, how do you even finagle something like that? Took advantage. Brian was in a very dark place in the eighties. They they made a movie about it with John Cusack, Love and Mercy, very good movie. Brian was in a very 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 dark depressive spots, and Mike basically took advantage of that. Mm. Interesting. That's why I said the evil villain of the uh, Beach Boys is Mike Love. Starting to understand now. That's where the back the background of Pet Sounds would be. Like I said, they put out the Today record. Brian stays at home to make these songs while the band is touring in Europe. And when they come back, he has an album ready to go. All they need to do is lay down the, uh, the vocals. Got it. So they come back, they lay down the vocals, and then what's going to happen after the vocals come out? Does the album like release shortly thereafter? Or? Yeah, the album comes out, and quite frankly, it was not a success. Pet Sounds was probably their lowest charting record when it came out which is really interesting to think about. It was, they got a much bigger reception in England. England's where it really, really took off, which I always find funny. Like English people seem to understand our music more than we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I can see, I can see this there. not taking off in America. This didn't have all the hits. This wasn't like the most popular song. Granted, uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice may be my favorite Beach Boys song. Like that song is spectacular. It's um, an, it's, yeah, and that's the first song on the record. And it's basically a perfect pop song, but wouldn't it be nice? Is it's basically a perfect album opener. When you just hear when you just hear that beginning, those beginning keys, it's you know you're you. It, it could not be a number two. It couldn't be track number two. It couldn't be track number six. It has to be track number one. I think it does have to be track number one because the album certainly turns. You know that song is like you said. It's super poppy, super like. You know, it's almost uplifting. And like as you go through the album, there's obviously like darker tones. There, there's a lot to be said in this album. But wouldn't it be nice is like the poppy, like this is this is the radio hit for sure. Like this was like, here's our radio hit. And I hope you listen to the rest of the album. And what I love about it 
as, as uplifting and happy as it sounds, it's not called, isn't it nice? <laughs> it's, wouldn't it be nice? That's true. There's hope there, but there's no certainty. I think the hope is a pretty good theme of most of this album, not every song, but there's a lot of good songs about hope. You could tell what I'm, I'm guessing Brian wrote most of this, and you can tell like what he was writing was mostly about, you know, mm -hmm. the way he wanted things to go and the way like he wanted to evolve uh, as a person, not just in relationships. What's very interesting about it too, is he actually had a collaborator was writing this record, a guy by the name of Tony Asher, who really, he was an advertising agent he, he did commercials that's what hmm. he did so brian had these would would write these ideas and kind of like rough drafts of the lyrics and he had tony kind of make them perfect and i thought that was a very interesting approach too to the lyrical nature of it and you can kind of tell a lot of it is sounds like it's jingles yeah certain ones do there's there's obviously um What's the instrumental one? Is well, there's a couple instrumental. Let's go away there. for a while. Is that the instrumental one? Yes. There's let let's go for let's go away for a while and pet sounds are the two instrumentals. Got it. Yeah, I'll I mean you can about. even hear it in there. They sound like a little jingle. There's there's obviously you know it's instrumental. There's no lyrics, and I feel like whoever you know when they were producing this, they did a very good job because they're just long enough, you know, in some instrumental songs go on, I think too long, some are too short, but I, I feel like they have the right amount of time for those instrumental songs. You still believe in me. is just a beautiful, beautiful song. And how many, how many songs do you know of that have a bicycle bell as an instrument? Not many. There might've been one on the Wizard of Oz. I remember there was a bicycle bell there. I think that led into a song, but I, I might just be mixing that up with like Pink Floyd because I did watch that quite a bit with Pink Floyd, so I don't remember anymore. But that's a regular, <laughs> that's a regular instrument. Yeah, I've never done that before. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Day. It's a regular instrument on this song. And this song, you want to talk about a song that's personal in nature. This is a song about somebody who constantly screws up and that's and there's somebody out there that still still has faith in them and it's their love it's that love letter to that person and this is like kind of again going back to like hope like it's like you know he clearly is inspired by this person caring about him even though like it seems like brian did shitty things in his life which i'm sure all of us have done at some point or another and this is his like way of saying i'm sorry essentially yeah and, it, and it's not and it's not even harping on the negative. It's almost looking forward. Yeah. It is. It's a, it's a hopeful. It's there's it's a very inspirational, hopeful sentiment to this song. And honestly, it might be my favorite record. It might be my favorite song on the record. It's up there for me. I don't think that it's my favorite, but it's definitely top three for sure. It's just when when I hear that just that opening, that opening with the thermon, and it's just Oh, you know, and it's and the keys, the keys and strings and the bicycle bell. Brian was really doing some interesting stuff with this record. Yeah, musically, there's a lot of different things going on. We talked, you know, you and I talked before the podcast like weeks ago about like the, the, the different types of drums and stuff they use to make different sounds. They definitely went in a less like typical band and more like, all right, well, let's bring this sound and let's let's try this. Definitely. Definitely more experimental, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was, again, going back to Phil Spector, he was taking that Phil Spector sound that he was using 
on those great pop records. But he was doing something different with it. He wasn't putting out the pop singles that Phil was putting out, your Be My Babies, and then I and then he kissed me. He wasn't putting out those songs. He was putting out like again the same sound, the same instruments, but doing something bigger and more personal. The next song I think I think that this is probably um, wouldn't be nice. I said earlier was probably like my favorite, one of my favorite Beach Boy songs, if not my favorite. Aside from that, this next song is my favorite one on the record, and that's this. Uh, that's not me. So um, on this song, he's talking about you know himself. It's almost like a song where he, I feel like he was like looking in the mirror and like just reflecting on the the bad choices he made in life or stuff that he regretted doing, and he he wished he would have changed. And you can see him growing as a person as he's written this record. So to me, this is like the most personal song on the record, and I really, really love this song. How much can you identify with this song? And I think anybody who's listening can ask that same question when you listen to this song. It's it's the most relatable. It might be the most relatable song in the entire Beach Boys catalog, to be honest. I mean, this is all about growing as a person. He's literally saying, like, this this was me. But that's not me. That's not who I want to be. So I'm going to have to change, you know, like that's that's basically what he's saying throughout the, the, the main part of this song. And I love I love that because, A, I think it's very difficult for people to change. I think people get used to used to things. They get into routines and it's very hard to change. But he's basically telling his audience, I have to change. I can't keep being the same person I am because this isn't working. This isn't who I want to be. And the only person who can change that is me. And what I what I find about interesting about this song is that so many of the previous Beach Boys songs pre-Pet Sounds were so identifiable as a teenager. I don't even know if I say identifiable, but they're about teenage life. That's what they're about. When I listen to That's Not Me, that to me is a 24-year-old singing, a 24, 25-year-old person. Somebody who's not quite old yet. They're not, they're, not, they're not up there in age, but they're not a kid anymore either. I feel like that song's very young adult. Yeah, definitely. That age that you, that you were talking about, you know, this was probably me in like one of like my last years of college when I realized all the fun is ending soon. Like I have to actually apply myself to the real world and like I can't keep, <laughs> I can't keep drinking every day and playing poker and, you know, doing what I've been doing for the first few years. Like I... I got a year or two left of college and I need to actually apply myself. So I think that's very relatable, that time frame for me. Yeah, that this this album actually really came into my life in a big way while I was in Ireland at 21 years old. That's when I really, really started listening to this record almost religiously. And that song, whenever I hear that song, I am immediately transported to Galway, Ireland. And that's where I think about like when I was just really, was I was in a, farm country by myself and really kind of just reflecting on everything I had done up to that point. Why were you in Ireland? If you don't mind me asking, if you want to talk about it, that's fine too. No, it's, it's, it's very, it's actually very pet soundish when you think about it. I always joke that I had a midlife crisis at 21. <laughs> at 21 years old, I was like, all right, I'm 21 years old. What have I ever done? Like, what have I done? So I took off a semester at Stockton, hopped on an airplane and went to, landed in Dublin, Ireland. I took a train a couple days later to Galway, Ireland, and I said, I'm going to be here for a few days. I wound up being there for three months. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I was renting an apartment there, and I was traveling out of there. Yeah. That was that was me. That was, oh, uh, yeah. You know what? I was thinking, I was, I was about to say, wait, you didn't know about this? And then I'm 
thinking, wait, that was about a year before I met you. Yeah, I mean, you might have like brought it up in passing, but I don't think we ever had like a conversation. Like, I think you, you've mentioned for sure you've been to Ireland, but I, I don't think that I ever asked why. So that's very interesting to me. Like, see, I feel like I was always behind the curve when it came to maturing, I guess, as like, you know, thinking, thinking ahead about things and like changing. I've always been a bit behind. So like that did like stuff like that wouldn't have even hit me until I was like, probably like 22, like uh, somewhere around there. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it was around the same time, man. Because like I said, I graduated college when I was 22, I think. So it probably was around 21 where I started saying to myself, I got, I can't be the same person that I used to be. So yeah, but not to that extent. I, didn't, I certainly didn't say I'm going to leave school for a year and go to a foreign country that I've never been to and see what the hell happens. It was, it was, it was a semester. I came back. I came back. I was, uh, I, w- I was back for the spring. <laughs> I took off the fall semester and it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I listened to a, I listened to the Pet Sounds record probably daily while I was there for that. Yeah, I mean, going to a different country really ex- expands your mind. Like, I know we're getting, we're getting kind of off topic to the Beach Boys, and, but well, all I'll say is if you have an opportunity or if you, can, you have the means to, to, to travel, you absolutely should, not just for, like, the cuisine, cuisine or anything like that. You should go there just to see the culture and see how different people act, and you'll have a real different perspective on the way things are somewhere else. It's, it's, it's a great experience, and everybody should do it, and I need, I need to get back to Ireland. The other thing I'll say is, is it also makes you, at least me, <clears throat> very proud that I live in America. And I was so, I, I traveled for two weeks in Europe and I was so happy to be back in America after those two weeks of like using showers that didn't fit me as a human being. Cause I guess people are a little bit, you know, shorter over there. Like nothing fit me well in Europe. And I was like, so uncomfortable, <laughs> like the entire time. I'm the exact opposite. I've been trying to get back since I got back. <laughs> I liked it. Don't get me wrong, but I, I felt like I felt kind of out of place. And I think I understood, you know, that this is somewhere different. I understand. I like these things, but it's, it's not me. You know, I got, I got to go back. That's to not me. That's no, not man. me. That's I got to go back me. to the States at the end of the day. Yeah. And like that, that song, but that song, that's not me. It completely brings me back to that time of my life. Completely early, early to mid twenties to, to, to a T. We're out of teenage. We're out of teenage Beach Boys. We're in. We're in what is probably the more interesting time in most people's lives. For sure. So tell me about "Don't Talk," also known as "Put Your Head on My Shoulder." Was the second part to that title? What What are your thoughts on this song? It's sad. <laughs> it's a sad song. Sad Brian is showing his uh, is showing his uh, face when I'm sad. That's almost how. My internal monologue sounds is that song. The instrumentation, you know, the, the instruments in this song are another beautiful arrangement that Brian put together. The strings are kind of perfect in it. And they're very, very somber. I don't know how I feel about the song. I don't like, I always try to put myself in the writer's or in the singer's state of mind, essentially. And I don't know where he's coming from with this. You know, I'm confused as to whether he's with a girl he loves. I'm confused as to, you know, is this a family member? You know, what's happening? Right, is it a friend? Has someone passed away? Like, I, I, and I think that's my problem with this song is I have, (laughs) the good thing is it can be interpreted however you want to interpret it. It's a song. Most songs are meant meant to be that way. But there is so little direction in this song that I, I have a trouble connecting with it, if that makes any sense. I feel like we're, we've been talking about the hope and the hope uh, aspect of this album 
this song doesn't have a lot of hope. It's more of it's more of begging for comfort. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I, I couldn't have said it any better. That's exactly what this is doing. And I, I think that maybe me personally, I like I don't like being in that position. <laughs> this is why I don't like the song. Like, I don't want to feel vulnerable at any time. And he's, you know, clearly vulnerable or the person he's with is clearly vulnerable at this point in time. So maybe he's being there for somebody else, but he could also be the person that needs someone to be there for him. That's what I, I, I've i always interpreted as. It's begging for somebody to just be there for you. Yeah. What's I, comfort? That's the way I, I initially interpreted it as well. Yeah. So that I like I said, I find that to be a, a hopeless song. But it's beautiful, like the rest of the record. It's just, there it is. It's a, it's a bummer. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of sadness going on with uh, this song. Yeah, it's definitely a very mature record with, di- with different themes if you're paying attention. There's, you know, it's not all love and poppy stuff, which is, <laughs> that's the best part. Of, like, that's my favorite part about this record is like, oh, you, you hear the first song and it's like, you know, it's a, it's a hopeful song. It's, it's very upbringing. And then I feel like the rest of the, the, the rest of the record is just like, no, we're not going to do that the whole time. I'm sorry if we, if you thought that's what was going to happen, but all this other stuff is going to happen now, <laughs> which is like life, you know, things are going well. And then all of a sudden some shit happens, you know? Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> Called Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Every week. The next song on the track is I'm Waiting for the Day. How do you feel about this one? This is, this is, uh, this is another hopeful, inspirational song. And it's, it's about being sad, actually. It, you know, it's 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 about something. It's about being brokenhearted, but it's also about like, hey, there's gonna, it, you're gonna come back to me. It's gonna happen. It's a. It's, it's almost. It could be a descendant song. Honestly, I was just thinking that this reminded me of it. I was literally just about to say that, like two seconds. Like this is this is like something the descendants would write. You know, it really is. It's. It's, it's, I, I, I love this song because, again, it's about a it, unlike the last song, which is just a flat out bummer. This is a song that's about a sad thing that happened to you. It's about being crushed, which we've all it's, it's all happened. But it's about keeping your head up. It is. Yes. But I also feel like like the, the, the term nice guys finish last. I feel like that's what this song is like he's there for somebody he's always been there for somebody he's always going to be there for this person but this person is never going to see them the way that he wants them to see them that that's my interpretation of it anyway so to me it's actually a sad song where you found it uplifting i i can understand that train of thought for sure where he's just like oh i'm going to be there things are going to work out but uh, maybe that's maybe that's like some negativity in me but that's the way i see it is like he's like He's, he's hoping for something that's not realistic, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely, definitely. But it's, but, it's, but it's about being, but at the same time, this, the, 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 uh, the person that this song is about is remaining optimistic, even if it's a false hope. To go, going back to hope again, yeah, okay. And the drums in this song. <laughs> oh, yeah, fantastic, man. <laughs> the drums in this song are just amazing. Uh, it, it, if you listen to the song for no other reason, the drums in this song are just incredible. This is the song that really, if, if you want to just listen to the, talk about the amazing production value of this record, this song in is, is one that really, really, really sticks out. It almost reminds me of uh, th- this album in general, not just this song, but yeah, yes, this song, but not, not just the song. 
it reminds me of like, you know, when you listen to something that, that that's clearly highly produced, like something like that, you know, this is not the same genre, but like something that Dr. Dre makes, he spends a ton of time producing the record. There's a lot of thought going into the sound, the beat and all those things, or like something that, you know, uh, Pink Floyd would have spent clearly tons of time in the studio. Pink Floyd didn't just walk into a studio and make, you know, the wall in a day. That, that took an unbelievable amount of time to do. And I, I imagine that this album also took an unbelievable amount of time to perfect the music that's going along with all of the lyrics. I would recommend watching that movie I told you about, the, uh, the movie where John Cusack plays uh, Brian Wilson. The movie's broken up into two parts. There's young Brian, who's played by Paul Dano, great actor. He plays young Brian. And, they, and there's a heavily portion of the movie is about Brian making pet sounds in the studio and the amount of time basically he was married to the studio he was married to the studio their day and night barely any sleep putting this record together and it and it shows you have a whole different perspective when you when you actually create something and you work on it this isn't necessarily the same extent but like I I edit our our shows I edit video I edit you know our, our podcast and when I started editing it was very, very basic. You know, it's still, it's still kind of basic to be truthful, but I spend probably like eight hours in a show and most people have no idea how much time I spend like cutting little parts out, making it sound as best I can make it sound or look the best way I can make it look like, yeah, I'm not throwing in like graphics. We're not having dragons on the screen. I'm not doing anything extravagant like that, but I'm trying to make like a tight knit show and it, it takes time. It, it's not something, you know, I could cut an episode and put it out. I can put this episode out in an hour and it won't even sound a fraction as good as it will if I spend seven to eight hours fully editing the audio for this show and making it like be as tight as possible. So I have a whole respect for the production side of music where it, you know, if you want it to truly be something great, you're not making that album fast. It's going to take time. Oh, for sure. And like I said, Brian, Hours upon hours upon hours. Interviews with, with the musicians that played on this record, they just talk about how, just how serious and intense and actually, but, but also lovable Brian, like he, being professional and the most approachable producer they ever worked with, which I always found very kind of fun, kind of fun, even though he was that intense. He was also about it sounding like love. Yes, and th this moves into the first instrumental song since we're talking about that actually let's go away for a while is the first instrumental track on the record what did you think about this one i'm actually surprised speaking of dr dre that this was never a dre sample <laughs> <laughs> it, it could totally work in a west coast rap song just the just the chimes and the little and the uh the winds the woodwinds in this uh, in this in this song could definitely have been a 90s uh 90s rap track it's it's a chill song. It's it's a relaxing song. It kind of just it is. And and the, like I said that earlier, the, the length is appropriate. It's not super short. It's not super long. It's like the, the perfect amount of time, in my opinion. It's a it's a hangout song. It could be it, you could just put it in the background and just kind of do your, have it, you know have your day going on in the background. Definitely. I'm gonna let you talk about this song more so than me because you, your name on you know social media is typically you know, followed around this. So tell me about Sloop John B, Mr. John B. Okay, well, yes, this, this song means a lot to me. It is, the, uh, it is the reason for my nickname in the Long Beach Island area, which is Sloop, 
which was taken from, because my name is John Brenner, John B. People in my work would call me Sloop. And I didn't get it at first. I thought that people, I was like, I, I was really self-conscious about it. I'm like, why are you calling me Sloop? I was 14 and like really just didn't know why they were calling me Sloop. And they're like, dude, your name on the schedule says John B. It's like the Beach Boy song, Sloop John B. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I, I, I just embraced it and it's, it's, it's become my nickname, Sloop. The song is actually a old folk song from the Bahamas called Sloop John B, which I think it was the Kingston Trio kind of originally brought it to America. And Brian, it was always one of Brian's favorite songs. So he wanted to do it Beach Boys style and do it on this record. And it's one of the great Beach Boys songs. I mean, that's the way to do it. We're going to, I mean, we're going to talk a ton about people re-recording records. We mentioned that in our previous podcast before. You have to do it your way. Don't sound like the band that did it. Do it your own way. And it's one of the very, it's one of the few songs on this record that actually does sound like a classic, as you know it, straight up Beach Boys song. Those three-part harmonies are just incredible. You know, this is, this is, this is the karaoke jam for, uh, for Pet Sound, for the Pet Sound record. I don't understand what he's trying to say in this song. I don't think it's a bad song. It's very catchy. I think this is one of the more catchy songs on the album. But uh, I, I think I'm just it's missing it. Like, is he really talking about a ship? Or is this a yeah, metaphor yeah, no. for something else? Because oh, like I, I said, tried like to I think said. of it as a metaphor and it doesn't make any damn sense to me. No, it's, it's actually a very straightforward song. Like I said, it's an old folk song from the Bahamas. And it's just about a kid on a boat with his grandpa and he wants to go home. That's really all it's about. John, you're making me feel a lot better about myself because I was massively confused for weeks listening to this song over and over again, being like, what does he mean? What does he mean? Does he no, mean you know, something? It, and it, it doesn't mean anything. It just means what he's saying. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of an out of place uh, song because it's not, it's kind of in the middle of this, uh, of this record that is doing really mature theme, mature and uh, serious themes. And this is a song about being a small child. This is a song about being a small child in the Bahamas. That makes a lot of sense. Just throw it there, but it's like, but it's nice. It's throw it there in the middle. You know, you have the instrumental. I almost feel like, uh, I, I almost feel like, uh, let's go for a while slash uh, Swoop John B is almost like the intermission of Pet Sounds. The break. Where, you know, we, you know, we, we've we depressed just you we, enough or like me. <laughs> we've had we, enough sadness. Let's, let's change it a little bit for now. Yeah, we're, we're going to chill out and then we're going to make you happy. And then we're going to lead into one of the most beautiful songs ever made in the history of mankind in God Only Knows. Now, this was probably the, the was this the biggest hit? Or the, this is probably the second biggest hit on the record, right? Commercially, it's probably three behind uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice and Sloop John B. They, were, they, would, be, they would be the hits. Uh, God Only Knows, though, as far as a lasting legacy. I mean, God Only Knows, if you look at, you know, the, the 20 greatest songs ever written, God Only Knows is always on the top five of those lists. That's surprising to me because I don't think this is even in my top three on this album. And it's famously, famously Paul McCartney's favorite song. Really? Yes. God only knows was like this song was 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 the song that like Paul Paul will talk about that for hours. 
how do you feel about it? Am I, do you feel like I'm crazy that I this isn't even in my top three on this album? Do you feel the same way? Like, what do you think? Yes, because I think this song, I, I do think it's one of the great songs in music, period. Oh, wow. The, uh, I mean, those lyrics, if you should ever leave me, the world would still go on, believe me, but the world could show nothing to me. So what good would living do me? That it, mind blown of how incredible that is. I'm going to give you that. I can't, I can't, I can't argue against that. I... And, and Carl Wilson's vocals on this song. And originally there's, if, if you listen to the uh, Pet Sounds, uh, the, the, the special edition, they have a lot of the outtakes and the different versions they did. They did a version with Brian singing. And Brian was like, no, this is Carl's song. This is Carl. This is, this is my brother Carl's song. Carl is going to sing this song. And I think Carl Wilson's vocals on this song, probably some of my favorite vocals ever. I don't, I don't want you guys to get me wrong. I think this is a great song. It's just not my favorite. Like, it's not even like my, my top three on this record. I think it is a great song without a doubt, especially you know, the, the verse that you, you mentioned a moment ago. I, I agree with you that out of, out of any of the Beach Boys, I can't even comprehend who else would sing this song. Like, I don't even know how there was an option. I, I think Brian's great, but I, I mean, he was, Carl was the correct person to sing the song because I can't, in my head, it doesn't sound right from anybody else. No, Car- and, uh, uh, Brian plays it live. They played it when they did the 50th anniversary tour with, I think, Brian on vocals. And Brian's great. Brian, Brian sings it amazing. But there's, there's just something about Carl singing this song that is just so perfect. Yeah, I, I do think you're crazy. <laughs> I, Fair enough. I think, but you know what, though? I think you're going to listen to this song going forward and go, huh, all right, yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you why I'm not crazy about, like, this is a problem with me. It's like, it's not a problem with me all the time, but there's a lot of times where I just can't explain, like, verbally why something doesn't connect with me the way that, even if my brain comprehends, like, oh, I should really like this thing, but I don't, like, I could, I don't know how to explain that to you in words. Like, oh, no, no, you know no, no, I, mean? I get it. I get it. I get it. Because there's, there's bands that just never clicked with me. Uh, off topic, uh, Hot Water Music, who everybody loves, like everybody adores them. And, and they, got a few, like, they got a few jams. I like and a they're few good. Of songs. They're good. They're good. They're fine. They're good. Just clearly I'm missing something. It's not on them. It's on me. Every, everybody whose taste I trust loves them. I can and, align with you, though. I only like some of their music. I'm not crazy about it. I'm just like, I'd rather go listen to a veil. That's that's all. That's all. No, no, nothing against them. I'd just rather have a veil. That's all. But uh, yeah, God only knows. Uh, like 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 uh, Sir like Sir Paul, I could talk about that song for hours and hours. But I don't think we need to. I think uh, I gave you my thoughts on that song, and I I hope uh, the listeners feel the same way. <laughs> well, let's start talking about the next one because Mike Love uh, is the beginning of this song. He's probably probably the bigger part of the song i don't know it's i know yeah, this there's is, an answer this is a mic song. now now here's the funny here's a little funny piece of trivia for you if you do listen to the uh the the outtakes and the extras there's another version of this song called hang on to your ego oh really that was the 
That was the original, those were the original lyrics, hang on to your ego. Because the song is about a little thing called LSD. <laughs> and when you trip, from what I hear, uh, I wouldn't know personally. No. Um, you you uh, lose your ego. That's, that's you, your, your ego is gone and you're, and you're just one with the world. You're, there's no longer you on top of everything. Man. So hang on to your ego was a that's song. That's a better about, title. I like yeah, this song a better more with that. But, <laughs> but, but, but Mike, Mike did not like the, 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 the allusions to drug use. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. He's the worst. He's, he's the worst. <laughs> He's the worst. I know there's an answer that was still an amazing song. And it is, and it's another one of those inspirational songs about searching for something that you haven't found yet. But you're but you're gonna keep looking. It's not a song. It's one of I think uncertainty is a very uh, constant theme in this record. And I think this song drives uncertainty perfect. Well, like, I'm not gonna know. go back to the last song, but I mean God only knows is very much like that. You know, it's like who who know, who knows what would be life would be like without you. You know, this is very similar lines. Yes. And I know there's an answer and I know I have to find it. It's, it's not, I can't find it. It's I know I have. To. Which is going back to the whole hope aspect of the album. Yeah. And, 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 um, and it could be about, uh, you know, tripping and looking for an answer. I mean, those are all fine things. <laughs> but yeah, I do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm like most, I, I keep saying, uh, I love this song. Well, yeah, I can, I can say that about every song on this record, if we're being honest. I, I feel like after our conversation, this is the song I'm going to go back and listen to like more than anything else, because now I have a different perspective on it than what I had before. Yeah, and, and, and I love about the, music, you know? And listen to the original lyrics. The original lyrics are great. Uh, Frank Black from the Pixies did an incredible cover of Hang On To Your Ego. Really good. And one of my favorite covers of all time is Sonic Youth doing a cover of I Know There's an Answer. Mm. I never got into them. I've heard only a few of their songs. I know they were like, you know, big in the 90s, obviously, but I never connected Future episode, with Sonic Youth. Future episode, we got to do a Sonic Youth episode. Absolutely. Sonic Youth will change your world. I'm not against listening to them. Let me be clear. Like, I, I'll listen to just about it. I'll give anything a chance. You know, I listen to some weird ass shit. Well, this goes back to my this goes back to my thing I was saying in the first episode about how I whereas I used to like be music snob and go, huh, you never listen to that. Now I'm like, Matt, I am so jealous of you. You get to you get to experience Sonic Youth in a big way. Like that's amazing. Yeah, I no, I get that, man. Because like I I obviously I play a lot of video games and stuff, and like people will will tell me like, oh, I never played this game, and like. I, my mind can't even wrap around you like not playing Mario 64. Like my, I wish I could play Mario 64 for the first time again. Like, so music is very, very similar. Like, like I wish I was a teenager and I heard Metallica again for the first time in my life being like, holy shit. Like just being completely blown away. You know? Wait, you never played Ocarina of Time? Oh, I played Ocarina of Time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding, kidding. Dude, then, this is totally off subject, but the Nintendo 64, if you guys pay attention to any of the gaming stuff I do, I know it's not loved by a lot of people. And then there's a whole subsect of people who love the 64. It's my favorite console of all time, which is, is absurdity to some people, but I love the Nintendo 64. I love Ocarina of Time. I love Goldeneye. I love Super Mario 64. There's a ton of reasons. 64 is I missed a, I missed a lot of class trying to uh, solve the Water Temple. <laughs> Yo, Water Temple's a straight up bitch. 
a straight up bit. And I wouldn't, the first time I beat the water temple, I had to use a God. I was like, I don't, I'll use the God. I can't I'll even God. understand what is happening right now. You know, every, every other section, it was like, fine. But you get to that water temple, dude, it, it it's not even right. Fuck the water temple. <laughs> that'll, which is a, that'll be the subsect to the show that like nobody knows what we're talking about. It'll be like pet sales. <laughs> Fuck the water temple. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the name of the episode. Fuck the water temple. <laughs> Hey, make our podcast make our podcast bigger so we can have a fuck the water temple shirt. <laughs> Only you guys can do that. It'll be the it'll pet, be like the pet sounds the pet sounds album cover with just fuck the water temple. <laughs> we'll put like a water fill in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! It's perfect segue into uh, here today. <laughs> so here today, uh, this is another Mike Love song, which I'm. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Fine. Mike. Hey, Mike. Love for you know. I I don't hate the art. You know. I, I hate that. I might hate the artist. I don't hate the art. And and I I couldn't think of another person singing this song. Honestly, this is more of I guess a love song about being like here and now and you know. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> throw back to the last episode. Right now, Mike Love is in court battle. <laughs> suing somebody for needless royalties <laughs> i mean this is being in the moment i guess you know like the way that love feels like at that point in time how, how would you describe this am i off base or am i in the same realm no that's uh it's pretty much it it's a, it's a straightforward song but uh, this is one of the, this is one of the few one of the few songs like uh, uh, a couple of them we mentioned kind of like sloop john bay where it's it's it's, it's 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 just it's just kind of a simple straightforward uh, song yeah, I don't. I don't have much to say about this song. It didn't really. I mean, this, it didn't have. It didn't have a lot of complex themes. Like no. You know, the next one we 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 talk about is a very. Is the next song we're going to talk about is a very, very complex and personal song, which is. Um, I, I I I just wasn't made for these times. Which yeah, this was definitely a step up for sure. Yeah, and this this song, is definitely Brian kind of feeling like he's more of. I, I, feel, I feel like he views himself as a composer, like a Gershwin of that era. And now he's here in his 60s with your Bob Dylans and your Beatles. And he just kind of feels like he's just, what am I doing here? Well, this and, record was him like stepping into that saying, this is yeah, what I'm yes. going to do here, I think. Yeah. And uh, I love the lyric. They say I got brains, but they ain't doing me no good. That is such a profound statement it really is i mean how many times have you felt like almost disconnected you know you're not stupid but you also don't quite fit in and you're not you know you're trying to figure out why you know how many times people have told me i'm the smartest person they know it's like been said to me a lot and that's i'm surprised you're not on jeopardy uh well I've, i've auditioned i'm hoping to be there that's that's my life dream but I'm not trying, I, I don't think I'm the smartest person people know, but I've been told that by several people. And I'm like, I couldn't be that smart. <laughs> John, the thing I love about you is you know a lot about stuff. So like if, if you had a specific question, you know, I, you know a lot about everything, but I mean, if you asked you, if I asked you a music question, which is why I wanted you to be on the show to begin with, which is why we brought you on. I know you had the answer almost all of the time you know, to a lot of subjects, not just music, but I appreciate I that, of you. And that. 
I, I when I bring people into Neurodusiest when we're doing these shows, I want to find people who know a lot about specific things, but also I want to know, you know, what you know about other things too. You're a very diverse person. I can have you on the music podcast. You can be on the wrestling podcast. You know a lot about that. You know a lot about movies. You're, you, you know, you, you were one of the perfect people to get involved with this. And I'm so happy that you joined us for that reason. So I, you know, I know this was a complete side note from the song, but I'm just saying, I appreciate you coming on. I know you fit in, you know, like a round peg to a round hole. Well, I, I'm honored that you say that. And I'm very happy that you asked me to do this. This is, this, this is uh, my, this is my favorite thing to do for the week is, is uh, record this podcast. And I just wasn't made for these times. I don't know how many times I've, I've thought that. The fact that I love this record so much tells me I should have been a 16-year-old kid in 1966. I think in, about that sometimes, too. Or, or I've, I've said many a times, I wish I was 16 in 1987. I could have experienced the Manchester music explosion as well as that era of punk rock and but no, I was, I was about 10 years too late. So I just wasn't made for these times. I think about this song just, just slightly differently than you do. So this song to me is him being a little bit older. As a human being, you try to relate songs to yourself. That's naturally what you're going to do. I feel like this song to me is like where I'm at now. And it's like, I just wasn't made for these times because I can't comprehend what the F is happening around the world. I don't understand how politics are the way they are and that's a whole nother conversation i'm not trying to get involved with i don't understand why a lot of things that happen around the world how is i'm not even gonna say it i'm not gonna say it because it's super political but i can't understand the world today and that's why i can connect with this song however going back to what you were saying about growing up when i was younger when i was earlier on in life i did want to be like i said i should have why couldn't I have just grown up and like, why, why didn't I have the opportunity to see Jimi Hendrix play live? Why, why will, why wasn't I just a little bit younger where I could have seen Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin play live? Like why, why did I miss these things? But being older, I appreciate other aspects. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm very into video games. And in my opinion, I could not have been born at a better time for that media. So when I think about no, you watch you watch the complete evolution with that. Like you saw every step of the way. Uh, I mean, I had an Odyssey. I had an Odyssey. The OG man. If it was Odyssey yeah. one, that was the first home video game console ever created. Yeah, my parents had one. So. That's dope. Uh, and then I, then I remember getting a twenty six hundred for my fifth birthday. Yeah, the so first I, really I, mainstream console in America. And then uh, a couple years later, I got my Nintendo. I, I watched it all. I, I'm not actually shocked that I fell off on video games because I was I was very much a gamer until I was until I got to college. Really, it ebbs and flows with different people. But you know, if I'm looking at my life, I I truly can't be happier than when I was born. You know, because of video games. But yes, I missed Hendrix. I didn't get to see Led Zeppelin play live. They're probably never going to play together again. You know, the, the chances of a band like Pink Floyd playing, playing together again are very slim. You know, I, I miss a lot. People have died over the years, but I can still hear their music. If I was born in the 1920s, you know, and I died in the 40s, I would have missed the majority of good music, in my opinion. You know, like the, the music I love today, I could have missed all of that if I lived for 20 years 
between between 1920 and 1940. I uh, well, go, going back to this, uh, I, when I wish I was born, I remember this. This is music related. The audiobook of Henry Rollins "Get in the Van: My Life with Black Flag" of just him, his his evolution of being Black Flag fanboy, and then it being asked to join the band. It is just. And then hearing those stories, like I wanted to be there in the worst way. <laughs> the, the stories of sleeping on studio space and eating dog food for dinner sounded like the most appealing thing in the world to me. I wanted <laughs> to live that life, but I wasn't made for those times. <laughs> this song is definitely on the, on the upper echelon of the record for me. Yeah, I adore it. Even though it's a sad song in nature, it makes me happy because he's almost at peace with it. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah, he's at peace with it. It's almost he's at peace with, all right, I wasn't made for these times. It's okay. And I, I feel like that's the theme of the song. I feel yeah. it every day of my life. And then that moved into the second instrumental song. I think, was this the final instrumental song on the album? I believe it was, right? Yes, it is. Yes, okay, it which is. Was and... Pet Sounds. Yes, and it's uh, it, 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 it is interesting that it's the, it's the album title because it's it's not really a song that is in line with the rest of the record, but it is a really cool instrumental. And here's here's an interesting um, note for you. It was written to be a James Bond song, and you can totally what? hear that. Yes, Brian composed this to be to be a, a song for a uh, for a James Bond movie. Very Connery Bond movie. And you can That's hear another it. one I'm gonna have to go back to and listen to with a you know a different perspective in my mind. It got rejected, and he used it for the record. Hmm. I'll definitely have to check that out again and like think about James Bond when I'm listening to. I wouldn't have known that. I wouldn't listen to a Beach Boys record like, oh, this this should have been a James Bond theme, you know. But now you'll hear it. You'll you'll, you know? you'll you'll hear it. You'll picture you'll picture uh, Connery on the on the beach, you know, oh, walking down the beach, and you hear it. And you'll, you'll hear it. <laughs> the, 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 the problem I have with Connery walking on the beach, like thinking about James Bond, is I don't, I, I no longer think about that. I think about Austin Powers when he's walking on the beach, and he's like undoing his, his fucking hair, that stupid shit. It's isn't it? Do you know what's so funny is that so many of the of the uh, Bond tropes are now Austin Powers tropes. Like, <laughs> like, like I think of Donald Pleasance petting the kitty. You only live twice, Mr. Bond. That's no longer Donald Pleasance anymore. It's it's now Dr. Evil. Right, and, and Goldmember was Goldfinger. Yeah. And I job became random desk. And he threw his shoe. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, all these Bond tropes for a new generation are Austin Powers tropes. Kind of funny. Look, this, this kind of goes back to what I was saying a little earlier is that over the years I've appreciated when I grew up, like Austin Powers is so good. Like I, I can't explain to like anybody who's younger and listening to this has never seen like the first, at least the first two Austin Powers. The first two, the first two, the first go two are really good. First two are really good. Third one, eh, whatever, whatever, whatever. Take it, take it or leave it. First two are very good. The first one is just a masterpiece. It's oh, it's so one the, It's one of the great comedies ever made. I want to go watch it right now. I, I, I've actually watched both one and two in the past like year or two with my wife. And dude, 
that shit holds up, man. It is still hilarious, even, you know, probably like 20 years later. That show is still, or that movie is still absolutely fantastic. Comic gold. Comedy gold, that, that Austin Powers. No doubt. Now, a more serious note to this record is the last song, Caroline, comma, No, which you informed me is actually a different play on words. Yeah, it's a play on words. It's about uh, Brian, an old flame in his life named Carol. And it's, it's a play on Carol, I know. Caroline, comma, no. And this was uh, originally, originally recorded and released as a seven inch as a Brian Wilson solo song. And this is about, you know, somebody you're with is changing and you, you don't like the person that we're coming. Essentially, that's what I took it away from the song. And that that's also, you know, that's relatable in, in, in my life, especially, you know, years ago, not anytime recently. But seeing people change and, you know, you're like, how, how was I with this person? Like, that's, you know, that, that's something really powerful out of all the relationship things that I think talk, you know, that are talked about on this album. This is something completely different. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, I feel like it's a perfect bookend of the record because the record is, we talked about the, the hope and the desires of this record and it kind of ends on a sour note, but it's, it's, it's kind of fitting that it does because the first song is Wouldn't It Be Nice and it's this song about hope and desire and just it's positivity in its nature. And then Caroline No, it's almost as if this person this album that's narrating this record, it's over and it didn't, it didn't pan out as, as, as expected. I mean, it's like the whole album itself, it's a very big step up in the Beach Boys catalog as far as mature and serious tones to songs. The great comedian and musician John Worcester had a topic on his Facebook one day, and it was bands who outgrew their names that should have changed their names. Oh, wow. And yeah. And uh, his, his example was the Beach Boys, because the Beach Boys by 1966 kind of outgrew the Beach Boys. They weren't Beach Boys anymore. Yeah, it was definitely a more younger thing, like going to the beach, meeting girls, like sur surfing and stuff like that. Obviously, they became more mature. Yeah, that's why it's so sad to see what Mike's doing with the uh, legacy of the band. It's like, that's, it's like, remember those times? And it's like a real music fan. They don't, don't want to, no, like that was a fun time of your life, but we want to, we want the substance. I think that's, go, go the easy, that's the easy road to take is like, you know, remember, remember this, remember this, you know, that that's probably why that's something that he's, you know, focused on yeah. it. Like, you know, as you get older, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember those. Those, those were the good old days, you know? Yeah. Everybody, as you get older, has the good old days. Member berries. Member berries. Eat your member. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I did like your take on this song. I, yeah, it really is. You watch, you watch people change right in front of you. Over, over time, though. Over time. But right in front of your eyes. Yeah, it's always, you know... It, it, people should always grow people should always change not they're not always going to change with you though and i think that's what happened you know this person changed in different ways and you're just like i i can't be a part of this anymore you know yeah and I, like i said i do think it's a perfect uh fitting a fitting end to the record I, I, a perfect perfect opener perfect closer uh bookends to this record uh so this was your first time really exploring this record right 
I've listened to this record since between our last podcast and this one probably like 50 times. Like I listened to it a lot just so I could speak to it more because I was not familiar with the record. I've only heard it maybe once or twice before. So it was nice actually listening to it and paying more attention, you know, listening to it with headphones on. Right before the show, I was like looking over lyrics and stuff just to get a different aspect of, you know, I, I mentioned to you, music can distract your mind sometimes and you can just kind of sing along and not pay attention to it. That's, that's why I think it was important to read the lyrics as well. And I think this was a great record. I can't, I can't imagine there being a better Beach Boys record than this. And I would say that there's few records that are as good as this that I've listened to in my lifetime. We talked a few episodes about like good and favorite. This is not my favorite record. This is not even close to my favorite record. I do think this is one of the best records that I've listened to in my life, but it is not one of my favorite records, if that makes any kind of sense. Well, it does make sense. For me, it would be a favorite and it would be, it's definitely a favorite of mine, but I, 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 I do understand that distinction. But from an objective standpoint, it is definitely one of the great records ever made. I always go back and forth between this and the debut first Stone Roses record to what I think is the greatest record ever made. I think it's, for me, it's a toss-up between those two records. One and two go back and forth all the time. I always feel bad. This record always comes, when Rolling Stone does their top 500 records of all time, it always comes up as number two. When they did it, when they did this list in, I think it was 2002, it came in number two and Sgt. Pepper, uh, Beatles Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is number one. Then I'm going through the list that they just put out last year and Sgt. Pepper's is at like number seven. So I'm like, did Pet Sounds finally get number one? No, Marvin, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Which is definitely a top 10 for me. Came in at number one and Pet Sounds, again, number two. Always the bridesmaid. I think that, that also things like this change over time. You know, you know you're going to get younger uh, reviewers, younger editors involved, and they're going to have different aspects of music that it's going to be, not always, but a lot of times it can be harder for them to relate to something older. Yeah, but you know, I, I feel like this record in particular, though, just because of like how we talked about how it really does drive that early to mid-20s vibe, mm. I think it'll always be in that conversation for that reason, because it, it's always going to be very relatable. I, I agree with you with that. It, it should be. Anybody who's, you know, listening to this to like review it or critique it, as long as you're older than I would say 25, as long as you're probably 30 or older, you'd be like, oh, I remember those times. This this makes sense to me. If you're younger, like if they hired somebody who's 18, like here, tell us what you think about it. I don't even know that an 18 year old would listen to this and understand what the hell is happening. I remember how I really found this record. I was with, I was, it was shortly before I went to Ireland. It would have been Memorial Day, 2002. And I was watching a VH1 documentary on the Beach Boys, like a two hour full documentary on the Beach Boys with my parents. And my parents weren't big Beach Boys fans. They like, don't love, they have no real opinion, but we're watching this documentary together. And when they do the Pet Sounds period, I'm just watching these people talk about this record. And I'm like, how have I never listened to this record before? And I uh, picked it up the next day. And that kind of began my love affair with this record. And eventually the Beach Boys. I eventually would become a huge Beach Boys completist. 
people are always surprised when they hear about my love of the Beach Boys and they just assume my parents would be big Beach Boys fans. I'm like, I don't know if my parents really ever gave me an opinion on the Beach Boys. When they think of the Beach Boys, they think of me because they think because I'm the Beach Boys fan in the family. <laughs> and Pet Sounds was actually the beginning of a great era of uh, Beach Boys records. After this came out, Brian went right back in his studio and made Good Vibrations, which is one of the great singles ever made. You want to talk about interesting, interesting production. That was on another level that nobody was doing at that time. For that to come on like top 40 radio with just these this psychedelic insanity and this and these just amazing harmonies with the psychedelic nature of it. And that's when Brian, Brian decided he was going to take the good vibrations concept and put it into an entire record, which was going to be smile. Smile was going to change the world we live in. He got the same, uh, same people that he got for pet sounds. He put them in the studio and the, the tumultuous disaster that was the smile sessions ensued. Uh, Brian drove Brian to the brink of insanity and smile was never released. It never saw the light of day. It got locked up in the sessions got locked up would leak here and there. Bootlegs were made. Some songs came found their way on other albums. Um, I know re you only recently heard about this whole smile ordeal. Is that correct? I listened to the album once, so I don't want to give my opinion on it because I mean, that's really sure. not, not. I have to listen to an album like 10 times before I can have a real opinion. Sure, sure, it. sure. I'm not really asking your opinion of the record. I'm just saying okay. you, were, you, you, you just recently became heard about this. The, I didn't the, even the know stories. it was a thing. Yeah, there's an amazing documentary that Showtime put out called Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson, Beautiful Dreamer, which is just all about the story behind Smile never happening. And then Brian putting it out with his solo band in 2003. And then eventually the Beach Boys version hit the saw the light of day, I think in 2010, I think it was. So it's kind of crazy that this record was supposed to come out in 1967. And then Brian kind of scrapped it after Sgt. Pepper's hit the market because he felt like he lost the race. But it's kind of like the space race between him and the, him and the Beatles. Post the, 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 the disaster that was Smile, which it wasn't a disaster, the record that came out was absolutely incredible and it would have changed the world. And it's a shame that it didn't come out. But the, but the, the sessions were a disaster. And after that whole uh, tumultuous Why were the time, sessions a disaster? I'm sorry, I'm just curious. Brian, Brian basically lost his mind. He felt that the record was actually evil and that if he did put it out, it would bring poison to the world. This is actually stuff that he said. He, he thought it was an evil record. Like, so he like literally like lost his mind or was this like a drug thing or what? No, no, no. He lost his mind. Brian had well-documented mental issues. Mm. It's, very, it's very, very sad and we should all give Brian a big, big old hug because he, he, he needs all the hugs in the world. And yeah, he's that's a very lovable guy. Very lovable guy, but the depression battles were just something else. For instance, the fire track on that record, because there's there's different tracks for each element, air, earth, air, fire, and water. The fire track, he truly believed that, because on that day, there was a big fire in Los Angeles, and he felt that he was responsible for that fire. Look, I live in California. 
it could be a big fire in Los, Los Angeles like every other day. Like, exactly. It's not shocking out here. But I think it was I think it was close to the studio. That was the the idea. Hit close to home. And he and he and he felt that he was responsible for it. But they the, the band actually they became a more of a band again. The band started playing on the records more. They had a string of really, really good records from 67 to 70. In my opinion, uh highlighted with the with the uh, the Sunflower and Surfs Up records, I think the second the beat the second side of Surfs Up I will put up against any record ever made. It's just so oh, wow. amazing, just so amazing. I think it might be the best side two ever made. And there's a really cool box set coming out. Actually, it might have come out Friday. I think it I think it came out Friday. It's called Feel Flows, and it's a hundred and something unreleased, never seen the light of day. Sesh, uh, tracks from those sessions from oh, the wow. Sunflower and Surf's Up sessions. So I'm, I'm, I can't, I, I, I can't believe I haven't jumped in yet. That's probably what I'm going to do. When we're done I'm assuming not all of those are unreleased songs. Some of those are probably like different versions of songs or something like that, or like modified oh, songs. Well, a couple of the songs that they released early were songs I had never heard before, mm. and I was and that really excited me. Me and my brother have been going back and forth on that, like you know, just geeking out, like we're going to have to have a listen and then two-hour conversation about it <laughs> and this is throughout the decades i'm guessing it's not like it's just from specific no it's it's from those it's it's, it's outtakes from those two records oh okay. sunflower sunflower and surf's up apparently brian was just on a was on a songwriting mission during that time <laughs> and just pumping out songs left and right As i mean look i think that's when you get a lot of good music out i think when you make a great record you've had to cut a bunch of stuff that wasn't meeting the mark. You don't just make an amazing record. You have to cut the stuff that's just like, all right, this is great, this is great, this is great. Anybody who just makes a whole bunch of songs and is like, oh, these songs are all great, like maybe that happens once in a blue moon. But that is so rare that you're usually cutting out the stuff that's like, not to say that these songs are bad, but they're just, they weren't to the, the same theme or the same you know level that that record was being produced upon. Well, yeah, it was like uh, Springsteen when he when he did Darkness. They made that record that came out a couple of years ago called The Promise, and it was all songs that he had written and recorded during that time that never saw the light of day. And uh, Little Steven made a joke. He goes, yeah, Bruce calls it The Promise. I call it, wow, that was a whole waste of my time during, that, during those years making all those songs that nobody ever got to hear. <laughs> I mean, at least they're available now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't go to complete waste. No, or you could just be guided by voices and put out five albums a year. <laughs> That's madness. <laughs> John, when you wrap I, things up, what, what have you been listening to, man? What have you been? I mean, obviously, you've been listening to Pet Sounds and stuff, but what else have you been listening to? What would you recommend? Our outside, outside of a ton of Beach Boys that I've been listening to for this record, uh, the record, the record that came out um, very recently is the new Descendants record called Ninth and Walnut. Yep. And anytime a Descendants record comes out, I'm very excited about it. Uh, I just, I, I just really, they're, they're one of my favorite bands. I'm a completist. Between anything Descendants or all comes out, I'm, I'm on it right away. The interesting thing about this record is it's really a new record in name only. It is all material that was written before Milo joined the band in 1982 when they were a three piece. I didn't know that, but it, when I was listening to it, I was like, man, this sound, this doesn't even sound even remotely new. This sounds like something. Well, well, here, here's, well here's the interesting part about it. It was recorded. This, the, the, the music was laid down 
by the original lineup, which which was Frank Nevetta, Bill Stevenson, who's the drummer, who's still the drummer. The, 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 it's Bill's band, basically. Bill Stevenson and Tony Lombardo on bass. That was the original three-piece. They recorded these for fun in 2001 when they were just all hanging out. So the original lineup that, you know, kind of design, that, that hadn't played together in probably 20 years lays down these songs that they had made between 1980 and 1982. Just the music, though. No, no. Just leaders. the music. Just yeah. the music. Just the music. And I think maybe some backing vocals. They recorded them and thought, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe one day Milo will put, you know, vocal tracks. So we'll get Milo coming in and do the vocals. Milo does the vocals over quarantine in 2020. So these are, <laughs> I mean, he these has are sessions. Of time to do. <laughs> these are sessions that were re- that from 2001 of songs from 20 years earlier. And the vocals are put down 20 years later. That's so nuts. That, dude, that's and, like, and, that's... and the end result is only the second record put out by the Milo Goes to College lineup of the sentence. Hmm. Man, that's so nuts. I mean, I, I listened to it once. I got to listen to it more because I can't judge it yet. But you bringing up Milo Goes to College, that is going to be the next record that we cover for the next episode so if you guys want to keep up with us make sure you listen to that record i'm familiar with it already obviously john is as well we're both descendants fan i'm going to see the descendants in just a few weeks out here in california i'm excited to talk about this record i'm going to listen to it a whole bunch to get more thoughts and opinions about it you know just just for me what i've listened to so you guys know i've listened to a lot of over the past couple days a lot outside of the beach boys have been uh, red hot chili peppers and offspring those are things that I would recommend you guys check out. And don't forget to check out Milo Goes to College. Don't forget to listen to the new record as well, which covers a bunch of decades like John just mentioned. John, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Uh, I'm very excited that um, you want to cover Milo Goes to College. It's one of the records that is near and deep to my heart and one of the most important records in my life as far as molding my musical taste. I just want to let you guys know if you enjoyed this. Again, please go support us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdthusiast. You can follow us. You can follow myself at from NJ to CA. You can follow the company, which is at nerdthusiast over on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, all those things. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, share all of those wonderful, wonderful things. John, where can people find you? On Instagram, I am swoopjohn232. On Twitter, I am SloopJ232. And if you guys have any questions, you can write in too. It's nerdthusiastmusic at gmail.com. We'll answer your questions in the next show. So please go ahead and do that. John, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Pleasure as always. Can't wait to do the next one. Absolutely. We hope you guys enjoyed this. And until next time, you guys take care.